Wait, how about you? Our kids, like, you know, I got two of them, and it's so strange. Like, one of them requires like what I thought a kid required, which is like a lot of teaching. You got to keep hammering on them, like, just to make them make them learn what you want them to learn. And you know, every step of the way is like this learning process. And then the other one just came like pre-made. <laughs> She just knows everything already. I don't even teach. I think it's just like done. As um, yeah, as a, as another um, owner of two, <laughs> owner, huh? <laughs> That's good. I will say it's amazing how how different they can be. Yeah. How much of that do you think was there from the get, or how? I mean, basic. Oh, nature it's there from nurture. the get. Like, dude. what do you say? I joked that I tried to make my daughter into a lesbian and. Yet somehow she found like Barbie dolls and pink clothes, which like drove my wife crazy. She she didn't want like she didn't want a girl playing with Barbie dolls, but she found. And then that's and then Oscar comes along and like, dude, there's no guns in this house. There's no images of guns on TV here. You know, you know, he didn't even watch TV that much when he was a kid. And somehow at the age of like one and a half, he's like turning every stick into a gun and yeah and just completely huh. infatuated with construction equipment like it's so I, it just made me i mean to the point where i was convinced of like reincarnation that he was like yeah a reincarnated redneck <laughs> now how would you feel like say you know he, he's like 15 16 and Boom, he's into like the ROTC. He meets some like Ugh. recruiter at high school and he's like balls into it. Where are you at with that? Uh, he's, you know what? He likes bass. He likes bass guitar. I'm, I'm going to push him in that direction. <laughs> I'd actually contest that percentage wise, if you took a four piece rock band, there's probably more bass players in the military than any other <laughs> instrument. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. That would be a tough one. I'm sure. You know what? It's going to, it'll probably happen. It'll probably fucking happen. Don't you always get tested yeah. by your kids? I, I remember like my father being like, yo, you could be anything you want, you know, do this, do that. Eh, maybe don't join the military. <laughs> it was always like the one, the one out, oh. you know? So speaking of drummers, I have to tell you this story. So my old drummer, Ooh. Jeff, who we used to call Hefman. He comes from an old military family, hard ass dad, you know, used to fucking pound on him. And so Jeff finally at like, whatever, like 17, 18 years old, he's like going to make right. He goes and he joins the army. Okay. And he comes home and he's like, okay, dad, I joined the army today. And his dad goes, what are you, some kind of fucking idiot? Nobody joins the fucking <laughs> army. <laughs> oh, oh, he joined the wrong branch? Yeah, like the what Navy, Marines, Air Force, anything but the army. That's um, the idiots. <laughs> oh, no. He couldn't even get it right. Poor couldn't guy. Couldn't even get it right. That sucks. <laughs> Dude. I, I hope it sounds like he made it out of the army. He made it out. He was a cook. All right. He did fine. He had a blast. Good. He's got great good, stories good. of the army. <laughs> oh man. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it like like Polly Shore and Andy Dick and in the army now, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make friends with David Allen Greer and I'm going to clean water somewhere. That's what I'm going to do. There there are some things. I do think there are some line in the sand types things that could get me to fight. 
I mean, I'm almost 40, so I don't think my active military duty is on the precipice. I don't think they're what I'm looking for. I'm slowing down a bit. Um, but there are a couple things I could think of that I would be like, all right, you know, like shit's going to end anyway. We might as well go for it. If the South rose again, I might fight. Oof. <laughs> I'm too old, dude. I'm, I'm off. I'm off to fucking Sweden. <laughs> so so what's our role? What If we're too old to fight, what's our role? We got to like feed people? We got to let them stay at our house? You know, as much as I love this country, I think at this point I might just let it go. Make pamphlets? I might just go. I mean, I'll go to Europe and, and try to, you know, raise money for the effort. I don't think you're going to be allowed. Like <laughs> in about a year, Switzerland's going to be like, no, I'll we get don't want there. any I'll of find you. somewhere to go. <laughs> like, no, thanks. <laughs> it's hard to get in here a couple of years ago. You're certainly not coming now. You Maybe Canada. COVID, not COVID Canada. infested, AR-15 <laughs> holding piece of shit. It is true. Like, they don't I want should, anything to do now, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Or, I mean, like I looked into it, you know, I could... I could go get dual citizenship in Poland or Israel. Those are the only two. And I'm like, man, of all <laughs> options, of all the play, I don't want to go to either of those places. Sorry, really, buddy. you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I got to hope one of my friends in Toronto takes me in. But you know what? I really like America. I don't want to go. I like this place. It'll be okay. It's been good. It's been good to many generations of my family. It's provided some beautiful things for my life. If you look at the scale of what people got to go through through the world and what I had to go through as a kid, it's a bunch of dog shit. This place is easy if it's <laughs> running well. You know, <laughs> like, so I, I do, I appreciate what this country, like, did for my great-grandparents and my grandparents and, like, and I do believe in, like, the American experiment when it's functioning well and what it can do for people. And that might be worth fighting for, man. I don't know if I'm going to bail. But that being said, in the history of time, Jews have never gone far by standing their ground and trying to defend land. <laughs> you know, if we're not running, going nomadic through the desert, like, like literally if Jews didn't flee, like there wouldn't be any Jews. <laughs> well, yeah. They'd be gone. It would just be a part of history by now if we weren't down for fucking taking off through the desert. So I'm a big advocate. Of, I'm a big advocate of running. <laughs> i'm a runner dude i'm a runner uh, uh, well sid's got kids he does he's got two adorable kids and um i'll tell you he seems you, like a great dad he, I, I saw an interview with his wife yeah she's about him oh really and yeah literally it was like you know meeting the husband of this tv star kind of interview oh. and uh yeah and she was like he's what a great husband he's, he seems like a really you know, I've only known him for about 70 minutes of my life. But he seemed like a, seemed like a very pleasant guy, someone I wouldn't mind getting a cocktail with. You he's know? a great guy, and that's like, I mean, he's one of those guys that you can see why he's been able to do all this stuff that he's done because yeah. people like him, and they want to like, right. you know, they, they want to hang out with him. They want to help him out. They want to, whatever, be on his record label, publish yeah, his yeah. book. His book's hilarious. His book's called um, yeah, I read a little Who Farted Ron, I think it's called. Yeah, something like that, yeah. It's perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing you get. I think you can get it from this interview, too. It's like, sure, he's a talented guy, and he's fun, and he's a nice guy. Yeah, and what a cool career. I mean, he's run the gauntlet. Popular yeah. band, record label owner, yeah. entertainment, TV, 
author. You know, it's like, I don't know what you need to do to be considered a renaissance human these days, but it's, it's put out. A, I think a holiday album that pretty much wraps it holiday up. Holiday album's next. I think, yeah. I think that's, I think if this, if this goes well, then he, he can just sign off. If, yeah, if that's right. He's checked all the boxes. That's right. <laughs> Do you think? Let's let's give the people the interview. Let's hear it. It's going on Sid, what's up, Brad? <laughs> how you doing? I'm gonna have dude? to figure out how this works. My wife wants to do a podcast, and I'm going to steal everything from you guys. Oh, please do. I'll help her out. Tell her. Tell her if she needs any help. I'll be glad to give her tons of advice. Yeah. Brad will give pages of schematics. Perfect. <laughs> she loves to read schematics. Sid so can translate my, my technical schematics. Yeah, he even managed to train me to do this process, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a Luddite, Sid. I, I'm a little scared of new technologies when they come, you know? You, you and my wife both. So it's a, it's a perfect marriage between me and Brad and you and my wife. <laughs> How are you with technology? Are you, are you sharp? I'm I'm okay if I'm if I'm uninterrupted I can do it. I see. Um, I, I'm pretty savvy. Uh, my friends savvy fav. In, yeah, exactly. My friends in the savvy fav are way better than I am. But to the average person, I'm pretty good. Well, you guys are both rhythm section guys, so you're not. It's not expected of you. Oh, Brad, you're finally outnumbered. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Although, uh, I, uh, uh, do you guys have, Benny, do you have any good uh, bass player jokes? I have plenty. You know what? <laughs> I honestly, and this is going to sound like Benny has no sense of humor, I have taken the position of rejecting these jokes full stop for like a long time because I'm too sensitive. <laughs> I am. Well, like, I have enough scruples to begin with about being a drummer and no one giving a shit about what I do with my life. So when I hear people, especially a guitar player... <laughs> trying to make a drummer joke like i actually get mad yeah there's my favorite of all time is what does the bass player do after the show yeah who cares (laughs) (laughs) so i mean who do you think gets less love the bass or the drums oh i i I think the bass player gets a lot a lot less a lot more. I think I think more. the bass player actually, it's like you start with the singer and then you get bored and then you go to the guitar player who's awesome and then you're bored within two minutes of those knuckleheads and then you start yeah. focusing on the drummer and the bass player. Yeah. You know, no one wants to see, you know, it's like, I mean, I can name a lot of bands where they have like an attractive singer and a guitar player and if the singer wasn't so attractive, then you would be really bored of the band. <laughs> Well, Sid, it's a good thing you're nice to look at. Uh, you're very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice buttering up there. Good job, Benny. Oh, yeah, that's what I do, man. You know, Benny Butter. Sid, I just had, I just had, um, I just had lunch at your uh, one of your old haunts here that you actually turned this on to. Um, oh yeah, which one was that? Forget me not. Oh, I love Forget Me Not. I've missed it. I haven't been there in forever. Dude, it's still, I, the um. They still maintain very high quality. The food is delicious. I'm glad they were very clever during COVID. They switched to a to grocery uh, store. A rest- yeah, to a restaurant from a, a you know grocery store, or whatever. I, I spe- you know. Well, they just reopened for outdoor dining. Like, I mean, literally this week, I think. 
Amazing. Well, yeah, those guys are great. Abby and Paul are great people. This morning was a very interesting time to review outdoor dining in my neighborhood because, you know, in the last month I've watched, you know, like 25 restaurants in my neighborhood construct these, you know, these wooden plank scenarios with different types of walls and whatever they use to try to get people to eat outside. And it rained very hard last night. And you can see quickly the people who spent a couple dollars on good wood and people who knew what they were doing and people who were like going to have, you know, broken plywood and and things like that going on in a couple minutes. It's there's already a pecking order, an outdoor eating pecking order going on. Yeah, I would imagine I would imagine like, hey, you know, and like, you know, elbowing for an extra foot of space. Oh yeah, like I wonder how 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 far you're allowed to push out into the street, right? I don't think you're allowed to elbow someone anymore, Sid. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did that to me the other day. Like I was walking my dog, and they kind of like softly touched my shoulder, and were like, "Cute dog," <laughs> and I reacted like somebody like spat in my face. I was like, "Ah, why are you touching me? I've gotten so." <laughs> so jumpy out there, you know. I think we all are. My, my daughter, we went. We walk the dog. We'll like say hi to people, and they like run away from us as if yeah, kindness is as an allergy. Yeah, it's getting weird like that, right? It's weird times. It's weird. Do the I hear? Do I hear your kids in the background, or is that on Benny? Um, that's on Benny. No, uh, <laughs> we, uh, my wife and my good friend Seth Jabor, who is in Les Fav and the AG band with me we have a side project band called office romance Ooh, um, and we put out an ep a couple of years ago and now we're putting on our first full length so he brought his kids over to dress up in uh elf costumes <laughs> he has identical twin boys so we're doing our quote photo shoot in our basement um today Ooh. because you know that's what we do nice What's the vibe uh, of that group? You know, it's Amy is obsessed with holiday songs. Oh wow! And she was like, "We should write our own record." I was like, "Yeah, you know, bands. Every band needs to write a holiday record. I mean, the holidays come around every year, and it's super important. And then no bands ever do it. <laughs> um, so we decided that we were going to be a band that did it. Um, so we got together actually last fall. Hi. And. Uh, <laughs> Wrote these wrote these songs, and then we're putting it on October second for this holiday season. So you wrote original holiday songs. Yeah, ten original holiday songs, and my daughter Lila wrote one of them. Really, as well. How cool! She'll yeah, get so she'll get fit. the big hit. She'll get the one that gets played for the next four decades. That's what we hope. We hope this is our kids, kids, kids moment. That you know, <laughs> is this a true holiday record? Do I have a, a Jewish Hanukkah song in there? Yes, we we wrote yes. a Hanukkah song. Oh. <laughs> What's the what's the name of that track? Um, it's called the Hanukkah Lights. Light, okay. light the Hanukkah Lights. Oh man, I'm um, and hooked. it's it's probably the catchiest song, unfortunately, on the record. Of course it is. And when I say unfortunately, I mean it's because it will once you hear it, it will drive you crazy, and you will hate me <laughs> and our friends who we, we all came together in the studio to write it. But it is mind-numbingly um, catchy. Dude, that's, that's awesome. what you want. Come on. Exactly. That's what we want. We want every 
you know, I think there's six or five, five or six Hanukkah songs. So we hopefully, you know, we'll be in yeah. the top 10 at least. That is a <laughs> untapped market. I mean, literally... Yeah, all we have. have is the Adam Sandler one, and people go fucking. I was going to say you might have you know? the top ten. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, you know, no, you're already in. Yeah, by <laughs> default. Yeah, this is great too because years ago I was asked to to do a song with an old band on a holiday compilation, and we um we, we used the um I don't know it's one of the very popular Christmas songs. We made it cool and kind of metal, but. Just to feel good about myself, I made the guy who played guitar learn Hava Nagila and do 30 seconds of it in the intro. Um, and I, re- I was really hoping this was going to take off for the Jews around right. America, but, but it really didn't stick. So I'm going to do everything I can here. I can be like your, um, you know, like your Jewish backer here, like to just be like, hey, like I approve of this message. You know? <laughs> Please do. I, you know, yeah. my sister lives in Los Angeles, and she lives in a Hasidic community. Okay. And we sent it to her to play for the for the Hasids. for the kit for the Hasids, and apparently they went bananas for it. Yeah, I can imagine they're probably um, drunk and, and having a great time. <laughs> yeah, so they they seem to be happy with it. Um, so please, what else is represented on this record? Kwanzaa. We didn't do a Kwanzaa song because we felt that. Uh, that we didn't know. We have a, uh, the producer who helped us is Jewish. We had someone help us write the lyrics, like we're Jewish. We didn't. I didn't know anyone that celebrates Kwanzaa right. in our family of friends. So it felt sad. like appropriation. Yeah, I felt like a little appropriate. Like, I didn't even know how to write a, a Kwanzaa song, <laughs> and I don't want to be like a white Irish kid being like, "And here's a Kwanzaa song." <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so I'm trying to do our best. Maybe in a couple of years we'll write another holiday ro- song, and we'll. Bring in everyone. Uh, I love it. Just get one of Lila's friends from school to write it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what else yes. have you been up to, dude? Did you have a good summer? God, we had a, you know, we, we tried to take advantage of the weekends. Yeah. Um, Were you working on week- the show the whole time? Yeah. Uh, been working on the show the whole time. Right. And thank God for that. Um, yeah, so we got lucky there. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, we needed a remote. You know, I basically needed my base, my a little amp, my computer, and you know, uh, logic. And so what happens? What and the internet connection? Um, Fred Armisen would send us the drum tracks, and then we would write off of those drum tracks, and then submit the video and the audio of what we were playing to that to the show. So, so you did, so you just set up like an iPhone or whatever and shot yourself doing the overdubs, sent them the files and they assembled it, including like multi-tracking the audio. Yeah. So Eli Janney, who plays keyboards and is also sort of like the associate 8G producer, because he came uh, from a producing background. We sent him the separate tracks, like, like, uh, so Fed will play the drums and then Seth Jabor played the guitar, and then Marnie will write off of that, and then I'll write off of that, and then Eli will write off of that, and then we each send each track to Eli, who will then mix it, and then send basically that track to the show. Oh, yeah, because you guys do all original stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So nobody has actually written it? He just We just start with the drum parts and go from there? Yeah, so it, initially what happened was we had songs we pulled from our old catalog, and then we got really... We're like, okay, I, this is so boring. 
<laughs> so then we figured out a way to do it. So like Fred will write two songs, and then we'll write off of Fred's guitar line. Right. Or Seth will write a couple songs. So we sort of Frankenstein all the songs together virtually, which has made it more interesting as time goes on. What kind of output do you need to keep up with the show? Like how much music do you need to write weekly and monthly? It's the same amount. It's two, you know, we have to do the opening theme and closing theme uh-huh. um, for, for every show. And then five originals. Wow. Um, which is locked in with the show now because they only have two guests. But sometimes when we were back in the studio, we'd have to write more songs or less songs. But the average is seven a show or five, five originals a show plus the opening closing theme. So when you're oh, in the studio, are you playing like full versions of these songs? Yes. So in the studio, we, when we cut to commercial, we play through the commercial right. break. Wow. Um, which is great because I know some other bands just bump out and stop playing. Right. And then there's like dead silence for like three or four minutes. And some shows just play some other music. Right. Which I think is weird to go from kind of a hip hop band to like, you know, you know, men without hats. Right. <laughs> Dude, there's, it, there can't be any better fucking exercising your like creative muscles than like having to come up with like being forced to write every every day new music. It's been a blast, but it's been a real blast. I get grumpy at the bands that are on French Kiss being like, yeah, we still haven't written our record yet. I'm like, yeah. dude, I wrote your record in a day. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you do have yeah. the ultimate trump card there. Like, yeah. Be like, listen, yeah. listen, guys, look at my output, you know? Yeah. It you speaks sound like, for itself. Yeah. You sound like U2? Well, here's a U2 song. <laughs> yes. You sound like, you know, the Pixies? Here's a Pixies song. Done and done. Oh yeah, what happens to this stuff afterwards? Are you guys like you could license all this music? God, I, I wish we don't own the publishing. We we, we own the writer share, but not the publishing. Right. I wish the show owns the publishing. The show owns the publishing. Oh wow! Um, Interesting. The the uh, but that's what sort of spawned this office romance project was because mm. Seth and I have oh we can write a jazz song now we can write a eighties song like, right. let's just crank it out let's write a. a a David Bowie circa 1988 song like we've got rock punk you know right. basically anything that the other late night bands don't do we've nailed it right are you does it get creatively challenging at all like in the way where you know I, I have to assume you, you do it so often and have been doing it so long that you know as you said you could write a song you know like the back like easy throw a song out there is it is it hard to um, not just like get caught up in the gears of production and actually still, you know, push your creative boundaries at all? It, it's a great question. Uh, I, 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 the show it started bringing in drummers every week. Right. I tried and, to get on that actually. Uh, you know, keep trying. <laughs> uh, the that helps a lot. So it's not Groundhog right. Day. Sure. And all these different drummers bring in such different ideas and rhythms and concepts of their drumming. Mm. And that sort of ignites our creative juices. That's cool. um, but one day I'll be totally brain dead. Be like, guys, all I have are Fugazi riffs. <laughs> and, right. you know, Seth will be like, oh, I've been listening to a lot of ELO. Or Marnie is like, oh, I really love this. You know, I listened to Lightning Bolt the other day and it's just inspired me. So we kind of bounce off of each other and then get excited. And then mm. throw, in, throw in, you know, the drummer from Hamilton. Then all of a sudden he's like, who the hell is Lightning Bolt? <laughs> right, right. And then trying to explain who the Pixies are. It's actually, on a side note, a lot of the drummers that come in 
don't know how to read music. We don't know how to read music. We're all self-taught. Uh, we have, and it's, they're all, they all come in really nervous, even like huge rock icon drummers. And like, okay guys, what do I do? And like, just be you, just be yeah, yourself. Play drums. Play drums. And most of them are like, oh, I don't have to read charts. I was so worried I have to read charts. Like, no, we're writing the songs per your energy right now. So right. whatever whatever you're driving is what we'll be passengers for. That's super cool. I mean, I could see where it would be a little nerve wracking. Like you're very exposed, let's just say, to people you've, you know, never met before. Did you ever go through that when you were younger? You know, like taking the little, uh, uh, you know, piece of paper from the band, posting at the music shop and like showing up to someone's basement and having to play for them. Um, it's weird. It's weird. No, I've <laughs> never had to do that. That's awesome. Now, I, I was, uh, I was reading about, you know, the way Savvy Fab started in, in college and stuff. Did, did you have um, extensive uh, high school bands and ambitions to do all this as a youngster? Or did this all just kind of fall in your lap in college? No, I was a little punk rock kid nice. from basically eighth grade on and, you know, made as much noise as I possibly could. When I was a junior in high school, I started to become, quote, serious about being in a band and was in a band called The Siderata with uh, Amanda Mackay, who was Ian yeah. Mackay's little sister. And we toured, we played a seven inch, and I thought it was so cool. Um, <laughs> and then I went on, uh, took a year off before I went to college and toured with The Siderata, which was the band. So I had some touring oh, wow. um, notches under my belt before I went to college. And then Going to college, I was like, I got to form a band, I got to keep playing music, and then that's how the Subway Five started. And what, what was the process of finding finding all those guys at that time? Just kind friends, of, or the it was we were, I was sort of playing around, but there was a scene in Providence besides the sort of Risty and Brown band kids. There was a scene of really amazing bands, uh, Six Finger Satellite. Uh, this band called the Hydrant Terrors. There was a band called Scarce. These were great Scarce, bands in Providence. Yeah. yeah that had shows and there were places to play and lightning bolt started when we did. And they had this amazing space called Fort Thunder or like they would be like tricycle race. They had 11,000 square foot loft cool. down in downtown Providence. And they would just have, like a band needed to have a show and they would host the band and there'd be like, you know, the hydrant terrors with the subway five and a tricycle race. And then <laughs> it just crazy stuff. So people would just come to the shows. So I started seeing people at these events and, the same kind of people. Uh, and then all of a sudden Seth was, you know, I remember walking past Seth Jabor's dorm room and he was linked to Fugazi and I was like, Hey, how do you know about Fugazi? And we just started talking. And then I was like, I play bass. He's like, I play guitar. And that's sort of how it started. And then Pat Mahoney, who was the drummer of LCD sound system was the original drummer in Les mm-hmm. Savifov. And he was, Oh, you should talk to Pat. He plays drums. And then we talked to Pat and he said, yeah, I play drums. I like, the same bands you guys like, and he was going to the same shows we were. And then Tim was sort of the loose cannon. He came in late. He was in a band at the time called Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> and when he, when he, that sort of dissolved, we got him to be in Les Sabifov. And it was just sort of a way for us to drink beer and blow off steam. Yeah, right. And that started to like take shape. And then we started getting paid, and that was really weird. And all of a sudden, we were left with this moral dilemma of, you know, our parents being like, you studied, we spent all this money on you guys in college to learn a craft. 
Right. And now you want to be in a band? What the fuck is that about? Yeah. So we all moved to New York and tried to get real jobs and then kept playing in Les Savifav and all of a sudden it started paying more money. So were you guys, so Les Avifav was playing in Providence then for a little bit? Yes. For how long? Uh, about a year. Oh, okay. Probably. Cool. Um, but like, at like the, you know, the, the college cafe, you right. know, the, right. the art collective space downtown. And we had five songs and we had like a cassette tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really small potatoes. And then we got a tour. Our first tour was with the makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, and trans, we played some shows with Trans Am, and we were such assholes. Not to the, not to the makeup, but we were like, "Oh fuck, Trans Am, man! Those guys are a bunch of dicks." Oh really? And, really? Um, and then we played a show with them in Chicago at the. Uh, it wasn't the Empty Bottle. It was the Bowling Alley uh, Fireside, Fireside Bowl. Yeah. And they got we played, and like I went back to the merch booth, and they got up on stage and played. And I was like, and they're like, "Yeah, man, we're only taking requests tonight." And I was like, "Oh, oh man." fucking the bravado of this band <laughs> and at the end of the show i was like these are the coolest guys i've ever met this is the coolest band i've ever met <laughs> and they we left and sort of you know parted with them and then hooked up with them later in austin and then in austin that show their van had gotten broken into mm. and they lost all their clothes Ooh. okay so we gave them all of our merch so then from then on, all they wore was Lasagna. <laughs> Did you guys steal their clothes? No, I wish. <laughs> um, but I can't say, you know, they're, they're just great. Like once we got their sense of humor and how they communicated and we just fell in love with them. But where, that was a great tour. Where are those guys from, Trans Am? They're from D.C. Okay. And that was the funniest thing. And weirdly enough, I knew some of them because they, they were in a band called Fly, F-L-Y, mm. back in D.C., um, but yeah, they went to Chicago and were, you know, but yeah, they were from DC. Did something happen like reputation wise that made you think that? No, I just, you know, we were cocky assholes and we saw <laughs> another band up on stage where that had the same exact sense of humor and cockiness right, that we're like, right. it was rubbing too perfectly. So we we're like, okay. we're either going to be best friends or this is going to be the worst tour ever. Just a little young and threatened. Yeah, exactly. They were too good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I read somewhere that, you know, it was in was never really your intention to, you know, to take it full time and, and turn this into a serious thing. And then it kind of just got got handed to you um, Well, not handed to you. Obviously, you worked for it. But uh, I, I saw a quote where you said that some of the bands who come through Seth Meyers, you know, because of your history and in, in touring and, you know, doing it cheap and doing it small. And seeing the bands who come in and kind of do it all wrong, um, yep. do you have the, uh, you know, the ability to, since you're a record label owner, to to tell people the things that they're doing that are going to make themselves trip over their own feet, or you just gotta kind of keep it to yourself and watch? I kind of keep it to myself and watch. Um, I wish I could say something, but I'm like, hey guys, I play bass in the band, and um, also. Uh, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they usually have their manager there. They're all stressed out. Um, you know, they, they have their own things to freak out about. Yeah. And I don't want to add that pressure. I'm happy to give them notes. A lot of the times I'll tell the manager, like, hey, you should put a microphone in front of the bass player 
or the drummer because they'll make more money. <laughs> it's it's things like that that yeah. I uh, share with them. It's not like, hey, don't stress about this. It's not. Um, it's not worth it. Now, what what are some things like some some tangible things that you notice that you think would separate a band that's going to have a a longer career and a band that's maybe going to struggle? He, I, I remember years ago I was on. We had a show. We were friends with the Mars Volta crew, mm-hmm. and at, as at the drive-in was sort of breaking up. I remember talking to. Um, Omar and Cedric, and I was like, "What? why did you guys break up? And they were just like, we just wanted to keep playing music, and some of the other band members, all they cared about were the laminates. <laughs> <laughs> right. And somehow that stuck with me, just like, yeah. don't care about the laminates. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like they're people who continue to make art and make music because they have to wake up, and they have to make it. They have to create it. It's in the, like they ha- they say yeah. guitar. They have to reach over and grab it. They drummers. They ha- they constantly playing beats and it, there's like a, a magnetic force. And they're mus- I feel like those musicians find a way to make money and a career from it, right? Versus people that you can tell are in the band because of other reasons. Mm. Um, so sometimes when I see bands come on the show or I see bands live, I'm like, oh yeah, that that's not the right approach. Uh, a lot of times, all young bands are, you know, oh, they signed to Capitol or oh, they signed to a major label, and then I find out what the deal was, and I'm like, I can't believe they signed that deal. You know, French Kiss offered them less money, but all these rights, right? Or you know, Mom and Pop put in an offer, and they went with someone else, and you know, or whatever the cool hipster label is that has the best intentions, the band goes with a bigger record major label. And then I talked to someone in the band like, yeah, man, you know, my parents were just so happy that I signed to Columbia. Right. 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 And I'm like, Oh, you're not going to make it like right away. I know you're not in it. You're not, who cares what your parents think? Your parents, you know, and then like, Oh, my dad was going to cut me off from, you know, from my free allowance (laughs) or I'm like, well, that's being adults. You have to go on tour and make $20 or a hundred dollars, but you don't, just learn how to do it. Um, so they make these crappy deals and then the bands sort of don't go anywhere. Yeah. So what so made I mean, you um, start French Kiss, by the way? Because no one else would put out the Sorry Five Records. Is that really it? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty yeah, that's, much. That's the punk rocker in you. No one will do it. Get it done, right? Yeah. The, the, well, we had like some people were interested, but the deals weren't very good. Right. So growing up in DC and being a Discord brat and obsessed with touch and go and sub pop, I was just like, I basically called Jonathan Potterman, Ian, and uh, um, Corey and just said, "How do you do it?" And each one of them gave me great advice, and which and all were slightly different. Ian from Discord, his best advice was keep it as simple as possible. Um, it shouldn't be dramatic. It should be very simple. X, hmm. you know. Um, this is it. Corey was a little bit more, uh, make sure you have your Excel sheet organized so that if you put in a thousand records, you can make this much money. So you understand your budgets really well. Mm. Um, and Potterman was like, let's, you know, don't be afraid to take risks on bands and don't be afraid to promote the ones that you believe in that you think might break. And that's kind of how French Kiss kind of became itself. And when did you like, who was the first band that you think 
that really kind of put the label on the map? Oh, it was the hold steady. It was okay. Hands down, the hold steady. And um, how did that happen? That signing and um, let's. Sabi Five had a show with Girls Against Boys in Minneapolis, and we were the opening band, and we played at seven o'clock. And mm-hmm. the only people that saw us play were a local band from Minneapolis called Lifter Puller. Yeah, yeah. And Lifter Puller was basically the hold steady. So we started t- hanging out and talking, and then we stayed with those guys after the show. And so when Craig Finn, so then the Lisa, uh, French Kiss put out the Lifter Polar record. We put it out with a label called Self Starter Foundation as a co-release. Um, I wasn't sort of up and ready yet to really put out a record. Long story short, uh, I became really good friends with Craig Finn, who's the singer of Lifter Polar and of The Hold Steady. So when he moved to New York, this is how crazy the world is. He got a job working for a company called the Digital Club Network, and which later sort of morphed into the Orchard. So his job at the Orchard was to sign young labels to digital rights. So we got started talking, and he was like, "Yeah, listen, I think I'm going to put this bar band together called the Whole Steady, and it's me and Tad, and you know some other knuckleheads from here. But would you put it out?" And I said, "Absolutely." Cool. And then we put it out, and that was almost killed me. And it didn't really do very well. They weren't really touring; they're kind of playing some shows. But we kept sending it out, and then it made all the best year-end lists. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, that that sort of sort of turned it. And then they followed up with Separation Sunday, and it was that sort of period between the holidays and Separation Sunday that basically they exploded. Oh, wow. And they were on the cover of The Village Voice. And I literally remember having the phone call with the publicist being like, you know, they've sold out Barry Ballroom. I need you to buy 100 tickets as a ticket buy for press that's you know whatever the fuck it costs and i was like i don't have the money and she literally said you better find the money and hung up Whoa, there you go <laughs> and i was just like oh i guess this is what happens when labels say they're cash poor because <laughs> all of a sudden i had to come up i had to buy 100 tickets for press and but that was that was it by far the whole steady that was it had there been had you like Tried to push any bands prior to that, like I, I did. There was a there's some bands that I really. There was a band called the Blood the, the Bloodthirsty Lovers, um, which was Dave Shouse band, and it was this great sort of weird Radiohead record that I thought was excellent, um, and it never did anything. And he tore his ass off, and uh, you know it was a great record, but no one right connected right. to it at all. Right. Um, he was older, and I think, you know, it was like a, even in, I think late forties, early fifties back then, and people were like, "Who the fuck is this old man running this stuff?" So it just didn't work. Uh, but that was one of those records that I wish I was like, "Oh, I wish this had done better." Uh, right. Yeah. Is, 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 is that hard to reconcile for you? You know, like being a musician and and you know, maybe falling in love with a band or an artist and just simply knowing it won't sell. Yeah. It's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, there's a band that I love. There's an artist on French kiss that I love obsessed with one of my favorite artists I've ever put out. I kept putting money into it and it just didn't do anything. Yeah. And I'm never giving up on him. He's still one of my favorites. His name is Devin Therial. Okay. And he got this really big manager and 
the manager was like, my wife can't pronounce Ethereal, so we're just going to name him Devin. And I was like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to find Devin on the internet? <laughs> and it just makes me think of Donovan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and Devin Ethereal is such a cooler name. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was this, he put out this record called Romancing. It's so good. His lyrics are good. His live show was great. He was, he went on tour for two weeks. He stopped halfway through the tour and said, I hate touring. Came back and works in a, like a coffee warehouse in Brooklyn somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a big, big bummer. And anyway, that, but yes, yeah. Yeah. he's That's, great. Devin, Devin yeah. Theriel, Devin, the record's called Romancing. It's fantastic. Well, don't worry, Sid, this podcast is going to put it over the top for you. Uh, <laughs> if one more person listens to it, I'll be happy. I'm sure I'll get, I think, Brad, can we guarantee one? I think we guarantee one. I'm, I'm going to go listen to it. Uh, yeah, if we can't find a person, I'll just get Brad to buy it. I noticed on the French Kiss website that you guys, or you all still have a, um, a, a demo submission uh, spot on the website, um, which is rare and kind of cool these days to see. Is it, is it important for you to, to maintain that access for, for smaller and younger bands? It, I really enjoy it. People, I'm getting more submissions now than I did through CDs, which I like better because I hated all this. I felt so guilty of staring at the CDs, being like, right. I'll never, ever get to you. I'm so sorry. And then my interns, when we had an office, um, would listen to them. And then I was basically trusting their opinions. Right. right. And I was always like, I don't know if you guys have the right opinion. <laughs> um, and we found two bands through demos, um, and then really unsolicited demos, unsolicited demos. Wow! But that's it. That's a pretty low it's of all of our bands. It's probably higher than any other label. <laughs> two more, yeah. two more than mostly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I don't know uh, how many times I've put myself into Roadside Records. Hundreds, hundreds. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I get a lot of European ones. Okay. And they have no idea, like they don't, it's like they go to demo submissions, they don't, they have no idea what our record label is, the kind of music we play or represent. And I'm always like, guys, could you do a little bit more research before you yeah. send? Right. You're singing in Italian, you're singing like <laughs> folk music. Like I just, you've never showed, you've never toured. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing that happened when we merged with the Orchard is that they had, we have, they have to have a lawyer. Okay. Or have played shows. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, we we are no longer accepting bands that have nothing. Right. It's just too hard these days to be like, okay, let's go find you a lawyer, let's go find you a booking agent, let's find you a tour. Yeah. We waste. It's just so hard to do. And then what happens is we do all that work, and then they get a manager, and the manager leaves French Kiss. Like, oh, we, you guys need to leave French Kiss. Right. 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 And then I get furious. I'm like, we did everything. We made your job so easy. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I What's hate the worst? I know, I know yeah. you can't say names for obvious reasons, but you seem to have a little vitriol for that position. Can you tell me what's like, what's just like the shittiest, most random thing that a manager has, has asked out of you or done in these years? It's so often... And so upsetting. It's such a cliche. I just wish they weren't cliches of the movies, like a bad manager. Oh, right. Just like, like, there's like a couple managers that I really like, I really respect, bring ideas to the table, 
you know, he, you know, we're talking to the publisher. We're talking. We're this is our idea. This is our mission. This is what we can do. Then if I call up and say, "Hey, can I get a friend into this show?" Oh yeah, I've got him. I give him a laminate first class. He's hanging out with the band. Like that's a top level manager who's managing the band, their record and their career. Right. Most of the time, French Kiss spends so much time and energy and money establishing the band so that they can go on tour by the, themselves. They start making money. Then they hire a manager. Manager comes in and says, I can make you more money if you go to this different label. And they start seducing the band away from the trust right. foundation that we've created. Mm-hmm. And then the bands leave. Or we start fighting with the band. So the band's like, you know, you we need this to get to this. I'm like, you don't, you didn't need it last week. Why do you need it now? Because a manager convinced them that they need yeah. it. Yeah. That two-bit yes. manager. Well, isn't it crazy, too, how they all have that uniform? You know, yeah. there are, like, sneaker heads now, or they wear, like, those, like, $120 T-shirts, maybe, a like, a cool blazer, you know, something like that. They all kind of got the same thing going. Oh, it's no, it's the hoodie. It's the zip-up hoodie yeah. under the blazer. Like, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, they just don't know what they're doing. I just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they teach music managing now in colleges and they come out and they just think they know what they're doing and they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think you said it best, which is like, you know, they come from this idea that it's the it's the numbers, it's the approach, it's this and this that are keeping you from getting to the next level when writing really good music and building strong foundational relationships with people is going to get you so much further uh, but it's just, maybe I think, I think sometimes bands get ahead of themselves and they forget about the long play, you know, that this is a long game and that you got to make decisions for down the road. And, you know, some people come from a place where if a little bit of money and a little bit of this gets thrown in front of you, you just get, get starstruck. Yeah, I, I agree. There's some managers that have communicated very well to us along the way. This is what our client needs. This is what we're hoping for. We're, we're, we're on the same page day one. Right. Um, I, I, Phil Costello from Red Light Management, he manages local natives. He was on way early. He helped us build, you know, Hummingbird. We knew that they were going to leave because the contract was only good for two records. So we, we knew where they were going from day one. There was no, like, what do you mean you signed to Loma Vista? We knew that the band was going to reach a certain level where they were going to outgrow French Kiss. Right, right. But we wanted to maintain healthy relationships because we have their first two records. And it was important for us to maintain those relationships. I have nothing bad at all to say about local natives because they did it right. We just did a reissue of their vinyl. If we were in bad form with them, we would have been like, ugh, no, or it would have been a pain in the ass. But it was... It's so important to keep good relationships with your bands, and there's so many managers that blow it up. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, managers. Do your job. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen a lot of this myself. I'm definitely in tow with you here. Um, So I've I've done a couple of these late night shows, not the one you work for, but I've been on some. Um, It's. I'm assuming yours is is really really cold as well. Yes, it's cold. And you have to spend many, many hours there, right? Like, do you have to wear, do you wear thermals? Like, <laughs> what do you do to take care of yourself? Because, I, you know, I've had that issue where I have went to play and I'm like, I can't wear a long sleeve, you know, to go do this. And then I jump out, but I'm freezing. And then, you know, I'm kind of ice, ice sweating after a couple minutes. <laughs> How do you do it? 
Um, we are a little bit, we are a hair warmer than other studios, but we're still cold. The okay. the idea is that it, they crank the AC after our on studio rehearsal um, before the show because you know three hundred people in a room makes it really hot plus the lights. Right. Um, and you also don't want to have the host sweating um, during his interviews. Uh, for the bands, though, because you guys are usually there from noon or you know on. And you're just sitting there freezing. <laughs> right. um, so I feel badly for you. And then I'm running around during the day and I'm wearing like a suit with a jacket. Um, so I'm pretty warm. Uh, but I, I feel for the guys that come out in like cheerleading outfits or like a t-shirt or like a, <laughs> you know, a muscle tee. I'm like, oh my God, they must be freezing. <laughs> I don't mind doing it. I just get the, uh, it's happened a couple of times playing in New England for a drummer you know, if it's cold, I've explained this to Brad before. He's very interested. Uh, you know, you get you get hard nipples if yeah. it's cold. And then if you play like a three minute long punk rock song, get a little cold sweat going. All of a sudden you got a wet T-shirt up against these hard, cold nipples and you're running into to runners, runners, breasts. runners rash. Yeah. Yeah. Runners rash, you know, just playing drums. I, I remember doing a, a New England tour in January or February that nobody showed up to. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty bad, painful. I was having a very chubby month, and I had to play shirtless. Uh, it, it didn't go well for me. Benny, so. I'm gonna make you a nice, thick cotton long sleeve t shirt with holes cut out for the nipples. <laughs> How does that sound? That's just what I need. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Benny. There's also band aids. <laughs> right. Put band aids over. I kind of think I'm with Brad's idea. It sounds a little better. All right, I, Benny, I think it's time for Mystery Friend. Mystery Friend. Who did you offend? Were you late to the key? Did you show up at the end? Put on your thinking caps. It's your mystery friend. I have a friend. <laughs> this is a little segment we do. Um, it was surprisingly difficult for me this time around. I don't know why, but... Um, we solicit a, a story that I want you to tell us more about and elaborate on. And after you're done, you can tell me, you can try and guess who the mystery friend is who gave me the story. Okay. Okay, great. What I want you to tell us about is the time that you broke the ban on MTV for discord, the discord ban on MTV. Well, m my theory, it would be from Ethan Minsker. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the, I knew you were going to get the friend, but it sounds like too good of a story to let pass by. Well, I, I have. How much time do you have? First of all, Ethan, I love. It's one of my. Is it Gem? Uh, he is. You know, I have so many great things to say about Ethan. I don't know where to start. But my senior year of high school, I'm going to give you guys the longest it's possible good. version. It's going to be I'm worth just, it. I, I think it'll yeah. be worth it. Yeah. Oh my god. So. So Ethan was kind enough to make a video for Desiderata, which was the band I played at in high school. Um, and we had a single out on Discord. Um, anyway, so he made the video for us. It was really nice of him. And he sent it to MTV to send it to back in the day when you sent videos to places. But we were on uh, my high school senior trip. It was me and my friend Stacy and Ethan. And we drove to Memphis, Tennessee to interview people about Elvis Presley. Hmm. And 
we had this really weird connection. My dad grew up next to Elvis before Elvis moved to Graceland. Oh, wow. So we, and Memphis is sort of white and small and connected. So I asked my aunt if she knew anyone that was still alive in Elvis land. And she was like, oh yeah, uh, Sam Phillips lives next door. Whoa. And I was like, you're kidding me. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, just go and knock on his door when you get here. He'll just let you in. You can interview him. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> That's crazy. And then she was like, oh yeah, you should talk to Dr. Nicopolis. He's around here somewhere. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. So we drove to Memphis and we interviewed Sam Phillips, which was crazy. That's surreal, yeah. And hearing him talk about Elvis was just unbelievable. And he also answered the door and he had long brown hair and a big brown beard. And he was really, he was taller than I thought and super skinny. And I was like, uh, yes, is, is Sam Phillips here? And I was like, he's like, yes, I'm Sam Phillips. I was like, no, no, like your father, Sam Phillips, like the <laughs> guy from, you know, Sun Records who discovered Elvis. He's like, I am Sam Phillips. He <laughs> looks like, yeah. He's like, I'm familiar with this man. Yes. (laughs) And the thing is, he looks so young with like not gray hair and sort of like healthy looking. And Mm. that I couldn't believe that that was Sam Phillips, but it was. Do you know how, remember how old he was at that time? Probably late sixties. Maybe like healthy, like he exercised and ran and was, I was shocked. Nicest guy in the world. Uh, And then he, told us these great stories of just just being in the room with Elvis and just how Elvis lit up the room. Anyway, so we're staying in a hotel room, me and Ethan, um, I think on our way back from this crazy documentary that we'd made. And we turned on 120 minutes and there was our video. Oh, wow. And we jumped up and like, we jumped up and down on the beds. Like we were, at Christmas <laughs> or Hanukkah all eight days. <laughs> Thank you. And we were so excited. We couldn't believe that this video that Ethan shot on a Bolex and edited like subway footage made it to, you know, and then we got like a nice shout out from one of the DJs or whoever it was. Matt, Matt Pinfield. Matt Pinfield. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Pinfield. It, I mean, it, central Jersey guy. It's, it is yeah. quite a coup that he got it on. I mean, I, well, I'll let you finish the story, but I just should say that, you know, I, we had the same reaction when our fucking Warner Brothers video got on uh, 120 minutes because it wasn't as easy as you would think considering that this was like the middle of the night on a Sunday, right? Yeah, but and it only had two minutes. You know, they, yeah, it was, it was midnight to two every yeah. Sunday, which, yeah. you know, being a little younger than you, you guys, you were creating music, you were trying to get on to 120 minutes. I was really young still, and I was recording on my VHS player midnight to two uh, every Sunday to watch 120 (laughs) minutes the next day and to discover bands from it. Like, really, that 120 minutes led me to, at the time I was into it, you know, in like early 90s or mid 90s, you know, I I found Helmet from that show. I found Quicksand from that show. I found all the post-hardcore bands. It was a really... It's a very important uh, avenue pre-internet to, to find a lot of this alternative music. Right. And and not so easy to get on. That was, you know, that's really, yeah, that's the sure. important thing here. But um, so that's quite a coup. But go ahead and finish was, the story. <laughs> no, but that, that was sort of it. It was sort of this, like, we couldn't believe it. And going back to your, 
whether it was Warner Brothers or, uh, you know, a no real label, but it was, I mean, Discord was a label, but it was such a shock. Uh, but, you know, 120 minutes is, how many videos is that? You know, it's not that many videos. Right. Right, so yeah. to, be, to be part of that mix of, of that time was amazing. But there's more to this story. Oh, what is the other part of this? I don't remember. <laughs> what happened when you got back to DC? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> so, did, did we get shunned or well, something? I, 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 I was I, told that there had been a band that, that Ian had sworn that, that no discord band was ever allowed to appear on MTV. Oh, I don't know if that's true because Jawbox was on MTV. Oh, really? So this oh, is yeah, myth. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and then someone else. Well, um, Ethan played it off like you guys came back and were kind of like in the doghouse. I think that we were in the doghouse with Amanda. Oh, okay. Um, I think that does make sense that Amanda, <laughs> Ian's little sister, would have, would have put us in the doghouse. Like, how dare you? You know, you we are not a commercial. Like, by the way, we'd sold like a hundred seven inches or something. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, but yeah, I I think we've grown up since then. But <laughs> uh, I think being a senior in high school, I was super excited. I know oh, yeah. Ethan was excited to make to create something and, and shoot something and edit something, and you know, that that's hard to do. That that was back in the days of you know you had to cut <laughs> cut film. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, go see A Man in Camo, which is Ethan's yeah. film, which is out somewhere streaming. I should know this. I will put a link on it for it or something. So anyway, when I was um, trying to hunt down your, your mystery friend, which I knew you were going to get that one, um, I got another story that you should tell us Uh which is essentially what's the inside of Rick Rubin's house like? Oh yeah, I love this one. <laughs> um, so I got a call one day out of the blue from Rick Rubin, um, and he was like, "I'm going to invite you out to my house in Santa Monica and just hang out." Yeah. And I thought it was a joke. Yeah, that's a good, that sounds like a Sam Phillips moment. You're like, no, yeah. who's the real Rick Rubin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But sure enough, I flew out to LA and drove to his house and he was incredibly nice and gracious and he had a manservant who gave me any smoothie I wanted. <laughs> and he basically opened up the sort of windows to the glitter the sort of over Santa Monica and he probably had this this is 10 this is a long time ago, but he had the most insane stereo system I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> okay. It was a monster. Like I'd, I've never seen anything like it to this day. And you know, we sat on a couch. What are we talking? Like wall to wall? Like pretty? It wasn't super wall to wall, but it was. It was pretty magical. Huh. And he had EQ'd perfectly to where the couch was, so that if you sat on the couch, it was a perfect. All the frequencies had lined up to oh, your ear. Cool. Wow. The sweet and spot as it's. It was a real sweet spot, and he basically was like, "I have every record." Just name one and we'll listen to it. Okay. <laughs> and I, we, so over a four-hour period, we listened to records and just talked about the business and musicians and songs, and it was great. And he's like, great, that was great, and I'll see you later, bye. That was it. And I got back in my car and went home. <laughs> and nothing ever came of it. Nothing ever came of it, but I got to listen wow. to, uh, I listened to Purple Rain on that stereo system, and I've never listened to it the same way again. That is so bizarre. Do you have any, like, 
theories as to to why this happened and why you were asked to do that? The only theory I can come up with was that uh, the Mars Volta had just recorded with him. Okay. And that uh, I had worked at Warner Brothers for a while. Like there was some sort of like with in LA a lot. Uh, he had just recorded one band that I was friends with, but then had spent some time with the Mars Volta. And I think they just were like, Oh yeah, Sid's the best. You should hang out with Sid. You should just talk to Sid. Uh, so he, you know, John Theodore is one of my oldest, dearest friends. And, you know, maybe they just talked me up. It's the only thing, thing I could think of. Is there a reason why the person who gave me this prompt, uh, said, ask him if it's Tom Petty nice. How nice is it? Is it Tom Petty nice? Does that make sense? Is that Eva? No. (laughs) I don't know who it is. It's Tom Petty nice. I don't know. You know who gave me this prompt? He said that you liked it, that he makes you tell it the story a lot. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. Is it Eli Janney? It's David Cross. Oh, David (laughs) Cross. He likes this story, I guess. Uh, that's so funny because I feel like I tell so many other David when I'm around David I, I I can't believe he brought that up. He said that he makes you tell this story a lot. He seems to like it. I could see that. I could see <laughs> David is a mystery man, um, and I could I could yeah. see him wanting to bust my chops a bit on it. <laughs> it's truly bizarre. I mean, you could come up with a lot of interesting theories about why you were there. Yeah, I have no idea. I love it. I mean, I think that makes it even better that you don't know, you know, like maybe, you know, that's maybe it's just as easy as it was. Like, he's just like, you know, this guy seems interesting. Be fun to listen to music with for a few hours. Yeah. I I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it was it was a really bizarre story. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. No, I I had a a question that, you know, you've seen a lot of people. Uh, come and go off the set of Seth Meyers. I'm sure a lot of super famous people and people of note. Again, I know you're not allowed to use names in this instance, but what's like the strangest thing you've seen or the strangest request, strangest behavior from like a guest on the program? Anything stick out to you? There's always been a couple. There was one where there was a guy who was apparently... um, known for being sober and sort of outspoken about being sober. And he was in his dressing room, just fucking high as a kite. Okay. Not like, like smoking herb high, like pills high, like crazy high. That was weird. Um, We've had people who, you know, the the bigger the star, they kind of come in, they come in with an entourage, they come in late. I don't really get to see them because I'm already out playing. Um, so a lot of people are like, oh, did right. you get to meet Taylor Swift? I'm like, no, she had like a full entourage. We were told not to talk to them. <laughs> right. You know, th- there's sort of a, how the back, uh, backstage at Seth Meyers used to be, I'm sure it's changed now, is that you would have a communal space and then the, this guest would have their own dressing rooms. Right. And the sort of rule was if the guest is out in the communal, communal area, you're allowed to say hello. Okay. If they're in their dressing room, door open or not, you're not allowed to. Okay. That's their private, quiet space. Um, and I don't want to walk into their dressing room. Anyone be like, "Hey, I'm in the band. Check, you know, <laughs> you're awesome." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so but every once in a while there'll be someone who is so beyond cool and hangs out and wants to talk to you, shows up early, is interested in the band. Those are the ones that sort of stick out more than the ones who have done crazy things. Mm. Uh, Mark Hamill. I guess was, you can name names then, yeah. Well, I, I'll say the positives. The yeah, positive the good people. ones, yeah. Uh, Mark, you know, a legend. We were, the, I was freaking out that <laughs> yeah. the Skywalker was there. <laughs> right. like hanging out, yeah, just hanging yeah. out. It is like talking to him. He's a big Brainiac fan. Okay. The fact that Mark Hamill even knows who Brainiac is, is amazing. Right. It just couldn't be a nicer human being. Nothing but the best, most respect for Mark Hamill. And all my seven year old Star Wars nerd was just like, I can't believe he's this cool. Right. Right. Uh, another amazing person, uh, Jason Sudeikis, is oh, okay. just amazing, kind, uh, shows up, hangs out. Uh, Matt Groening from The Simpsons, oh, yeah. like hung out, like did autographs, like did drawings for people. Um, so those are the ones where you're like, you could leave right away, but they just want to hang out and be part of what the show is. Cool. Um, so those are the ones that I sort of, I mean, there's so many, but those are the ones that sort of hang out and want to talk shop and, you know, just, there's so, like, now my brain is sort of flooding with all these great people, but those are the ones <laughs> right. that sort of came up and like, oh yeah, hey, what's up? And, you know. Sure, you met a lot in the day. It's cool you said Jason Sudeikis too, because he is kind of what we were talking about before with the, the manager uniform. Right. His, his character in that silly movie, The Rocker, with, um... I was going to say, Dwight from The Office. Uh, I forget his real name right now. But uh, and Christina Applegate and Jason Sudeikis plays a music manager in that movie. And he nails it. You know, he's just wearing like the exact thing you should wear. He's saying all the cheesy, shady stuff that we were talking about before. He really played it perfectly. Um, now, after all these years, so, so you've put out a book. Two books or one book? Oh, yeah, the book. Oh, yeah, just one. Just the one. Label owner in a great band on television. So so what's next for you? What's what's the ambitions? You've you got a lot besides of Besides the Christmas here. record. Besides the yeah. hit Christmas oh, right. record. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess we already knew. Yeah. I'm, Tapping I'm so, into the Andy Williams scene. Yeah. I'm so happy and proud of this Office Romance holiday record. My wife did it. It's an amazing job of writing all these lyrics. I, you know, it, it started out kind of easy, like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a holiday record. We have to write holiday things. Three or four songs in, she's like, I can't write another song about magic, <laughs> glowing stars, yeah, yeah, you know, mistletoe. And she did a great 10 songs. I can't believe it. <laughs> she was like, try to write one song, Sid. And I failed miserably. <laughs> I was like, I play bass. I, I do arrangements. That's what, that's what my job is. Awesome. You know, there's one thing that you didn't come across, Benny. And I don't know. Do you still own a piece of the black cat? I do not. Oh, but you did, right? I did. I did. How was that? Um, you know, one of those crazy stories. I was a dishwasher at Dante's, which was the sort of hipster um, late night cafe in D.C. Um. And Dante said, I'm going to start a rock club. There's no more rock clubs in D.C. Um, uh, D.C. Space was a really small one, and it closed down. So Dante came up with the idea of starting a sort of 
a room that could be as small as DC space and as kind of give the 930 a taste, a run for its money. And he asked me if he could sort of borrow some of my money or take some money in my paycheck. And I was living at home at the time. So I was like, yeah, just I'll be a, an owner. Sounds great. You know, so, uh, you know, $3,000 later, I was a tiny shareholder <laughs> of the black cat. Um, and it did well. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it's a fucking, it's my favorite venue down in DC for sure. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was the funniest thing to get these sort of end of the year, like, you know, you made this much money. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a good investment. <laughs> um, did you get yes. bought out or did you just give up on I, it? Or what I, 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 uh, Dante came to me and said, I want to buy the building and uh, I want to sort of buy you out. So I said, great, I don't have a job. <laughs> so he did. Um, oh, wow. And it was great. Well, there you super, go. Super great. I was in a long conversation with a friend the other day about Fugazi. Can you give me your top three Fugazi records? What are the best three? Well, you have to start with 13 songs because it, it's a landmark record. It's what changed the game. Sure. Then, you mean not just for Fugazi, but for like yeah, the whole indie the, scene? The whole indie scene. It's just like they, that, that was just, what? People went, what? Hmm. My favorite record is In on the Kill Taker. Okay, cool. I When I heard that, it was like this dynamite excitement in my ears. Yeah. It was recorded for like, in like a very short period of time, 10 days or 12 days, whatever it was. They just cranked it out. I just felt just the sounds. Um, then Repeater, those are my top three. Ah, argument not in the top three. Argument is not a top three. I'll think there's there's songs on Steady Diet of Nothing and Argument, but um, I think as a full record, you know, if I was going to be hanging out with Rick Rubin, I would put on those <laughs> records. If you were in the studio. If I was in, uh, on, yeah. guys, if I was on his couch having a smoothie, those were the three outs. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, Rick's manservant. Yeah. Um, if, if you had the choice of any record history of all time, that you would want to listen to on that stereo? What, what would you want to listen to? Like Dark Side of the Moon? Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I would, you know, I was pretty happy with, with Purple Rain. Yeah. Sure. I think that record was just on that stereo, but records since then, maybe OK Computer mm. on vinyl. That That's a game changer. Maybe some soul records, you know, maybe an Al Green record. <laughs> you know, just some the, the, those, just those bass tones and that mid the mids on on a beautiful stereo on vinyl is just so amazing. So yeah. maybe some sort of soul record. That sounds nice. Was that the deal? He it was all vinyl. You guys were listening to. Yeah, it was all vinyl. Oh, it was all vinyl. That requires everything I hear about Rick Rubin just seems cool. I want to. I feel like it's good luck if you could just rub his beard or something. You know. Yeah, she's, you know. Kind of a mythical creature. Yeah, he kind of floats about. Dude, remember, listen to that podcast that he does with, um, what's his name, a writer. Ah, uh, fuck. Yeah, I actually listened to one. It is interesting. It's really good. Yeah, and I did, I found out, you know, when, when you know, Gaslight signed to a major for the first one and actually had a budget, you know, it was like, let's just see how much Rick Rubin costs, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Just like, just to see, just for fun. 
and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's it's a lot. I'm not going to throw a number out there. I don't know if that's that's right, but it's it's more money than most people have. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Well, don't worry. After this, you, it, we'll we'll be able to get all the money we need from this podcast, Sid. Don't worry. It's a fact. Anyway, Sid, this has been awesome. Oh, my my pleasure, you guys. It's Thank probably you. long overdue, and um, and I really it was it's fun to talk to you. I like these. I love these stories. Sure. I appreciate you listening to them, I'm, and thanks for letting me be the um, the sub. I'm I'm sorry that the the main person canceled. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously though. Um, thanks a lot, and uh, you know, hope to see you in in the flesh at some point. I hope so too. And best to your family. Yeah, same to you, man. Thanks, Sid. Nice, nice to kind of meet you. Good luck out there, man. Thanks, Benny. I'll see you on the show. Let's get me a job on Seth Meyers, huh? <laughs> Could happen. I really, t- I tried. My manager was even like, hey, I know somebody like it's Seth Meyers. Would you be interested? I'm hey. like, oh, sure. And I'm like, if he knows somebody, it's probably a done deal. And I still got rejected. So well, now you know, maybe. Uh, now you know two people. Now I know a guy. Yeah. Now I know a guy. Now you know two guys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's let's see. I, I need a few months anyway because this quarantine hasn't been good for my body. And anytime I've ever been on TV before, there's, there's this one camera guy who kind of creeps up like low <laughs> into the side of you, which is sort of like right at the side of my stomach, kind of my bad spot. So I'm going to need a few months out here in the forest to chop some wood and start feeling you, good about it. If myself. you've seen the show, you see that you barely see the band in that show. You get an opening okay. shot and that's about it. I wouldn't wait. That's about, about it. it. Okay. I'm cool. Face made for radio. You know what I'm saying? I, I think it could happen. I think you can make the show. <laughs> I, I have, this is it. This is your year, buddy. This is your year. It's going to happen. Wait, Brad, I have an even better idea. Why don't me and you have a late night show? That's we could turn this into a late night show, huh? Sid, going off track after midnight with Brad you know and Benny. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking get the nine G band. You get like, the, what's up, Seth? You get you get the <laughs> desk. You get the desk, and I'll just be the um the you know the foil, like the guy oh, like on the, the Tonight Andy show. Richter. Yeah, yeah, you'll yeah, be yeah. the Andy Richter. <laughs> yeah, <Hoo-ah. laughs> hey, oh, that was a good one. Oh. That's a good, good one. You're a salty dog. <laughs> I, I, I just make one promise. I'm not going to. I think Jimmy Fallon's a cool dude. Yeah. But I'm going to play it a little cooler than that. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I mean, I, the guy's got the fucking roots as his band. And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to play it a little <laughs> bit cooler. It's to be, it's gonna, that's a tough one to beat. But you know what? Do it, dude. I'm still just mad at him for laughing too much on SNL. <laughs> yeah, he's that he's better where he is, isn't he? He's he's he, always the he, he was, was always the breaker. He I know. Was always I, the I gotta admit, breaker. I don't I don't like that either. I, I which some people find me. romantic and cute when it happens. No, nah, no, nah, I don't. Nah, I want to get lost in the fantasy. I don't want to know you're a person in the moment. No, you be, know? be a professional. <laughs> That's right. You can't laugh in front of Christopher Walken. Come on now. <laughs> I saw Jimmy Fallon at Niagara. In the city once. Really? And yeah, he was just hanging with a couple people. By all accounts, he's a very cool dude. And when we played Fallon, I've, I've had an A and B now 
he's the only one out of like the gauntlet that actually came back before the show and said, what's up? All the other ones just wait for the awkward moment on stage. So I thought that was a respect move. For real. It's so funny. I'm going to segue to my, uh, to the credits because it's so funny that you brought up Niagara. Oh. Because I went to a bunch of people to try to get the mystery friend this time. And I was going to thank Ethan Minsker, who's doing the Man in Camo film that I would recommend anybody try to find. Johnny T. And so Johnny T. owns Niagara. Right. And Ethan used to bartend there. And then David Cross, who I met at Niagara. So that's a really weird. That's a good segue. Yeah. I was going to thank Mistress Formica, too, even though she really didn't come up with a great story well what um, are you segueing to brad it's just my my uh <laughs> that was it i just thanked everybody <laughs> no, that's not a segue <laughs> thank you for the mystery friends <laughs> um but i was also going to thank our venmo we're so you just blew it for us we're not getting our late night show <laughs> nobody's gonna you listen. better give us nobody's... give us more patreon money so we can go on cable dude the people that could give us a late night show are not still listening to this podcast <laughs> but you know who still is listening Carrie Ann Bracco, Heather Wanderer, and Colin Bennett. Our recent Venmo contributions, tips. Colin. I know Colin. Those are Venmo folks. Thank we got you. some new Patron, Patreon patrons. 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 Uh, <laughs> Heath, Eric, who's the Goo Goo Dolls fan. Vincent, Chris, uh-huh. Egel. Patreon.com slash going off track if you want to um, join that group of awesome people. There's bonus content there. And um, if we ever put it, start putting ads on these things, you'll be able to get the show there without ads. <laughs> oh, you know, there is one. Per- I keep meaning to thank these guys. And I did it once. But the Mystery Friend theme, the original theme is by this guy, Evan Moore. Oh, yeah. Um, vocals by Linda Everswick. Okay. Um, he's at swan on twitter which is s-s-w-w-w-a-a-a-n-n um but then i we have a shorter mystery friend which i use sometimes too on these shows by this guy mark from sweden and i keep meaning to prop him because he's got this instagram hardcore and soda Uh and all i can say is just check it out okay i don't know if he's updated it recently but Hardcore and soda on Instagram. It's pretty fucking hilarious. Awesome. Um, and then Sid is S Y D F K R on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also get Lasavi Fav, either of those places, H E Band. And Sid also has an Instagram called Sid Butler Photos, which is some pretty cool like um, oh, cool. portraits that he's done, like with people that he knows and people that he works with. Um, and check out his book, Who Farted Wrong. <laughs> which is good it's illustrations and short stories and that's so it good. i'm out i that's it i've said it i've said my piece oh anything for Brad, you drop the mic <laughs> drop your mic do it i'm gonna go put my do kids it. to bed all right i'm gonna go paint some trim Ooh. that's real it's not a metaphor <laughs> sure sure buddy it's Whatever. not sexual i swear <laughs> it's a dark gray it's a dark gray i'm not oh jeez. let me see oh, a swatch geez. <laughs> <laughs> okay bye brad you deviant see you dude